With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. Tennis fans, there are only three days of Grand Slam tennis left in this 2022 season. Only three days left to test your knowledge as a tennis fan. And if you are ready for that test, the best place to get in on the action is with our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. You'll find everything you're looking for there, whether it be what's available for the U.S. Open or, of course, what's available on the Challenger level, the ITF level, or the countless other sports happening at any given time around the globe. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook today to place your first bet and use our promo code AOD when you do. If you use that promo code, all you got to do, bet $1, you'll get $100 in free bets in return. A massive shout out to our friends at DraftKings for their support of this podcast. We look forward to continuing to work with them, not only during Grand Slam season, but throughout the rest of this 2022 tennis season. Again, the way you can get in on the action today by going to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Use our promo code AOD. Bet $1, get $100 in free bets. Of course, it's crazy to even say this out loud. We've reached day 12 of the 2022 U.S. Open. I already said it, but three days of Grand Slam tennis remaining in this season. They promise to all be extraordinarily delightful. You look at each of our four remaining men single semifinalists who, of course, will all be in action on day number 12. Carlos Alcaraz, who played not only the match of the tournament, not only the match of the year, but one of the best matches, in my opinion, of the 21st century in his five-set quarterfinal victory over Yannick Sinner. Not only was it the quality of play that made that match stand out, but, of course, the drama with which the match was being held. First Grand Slam title on the line for all eight of the remaining U.S. Open quarter finalists. Two of the next-gen superstars on tour competing head-to-head, and of course, all of that happening well past midnight on the East Coast. Carlos Alcaraz has thoroughly earned his spot in this U.S. Open semifinals, as have all of the players who have reached this stage of the event. There's no fluke run. Did you watch Karen Hatchinov systematically break down, let's try that word again, systematically break down Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals. Hatchinov was better at executing the serve plus one game plan in that match. In the physicality of Karen Hachanov, yes, I understand he hasn't won a title since winning that breakthrough Paris Masters title in 2018, but he's been a consistent presence in the second week of Grand Slams. He has been a consistent presence in the top 30 of the ATP rankings. And again, 
to watch him not only beat Kyrgios, but to watch him beat Pablo Carreño Busta, who of course won the title in Toronto earlier this summer, to watch him beat Jack Draper, even if it was ugly to get through that match. Hatchinov has earned his spot in this 2022 U.S. Open semifinal. And then, of course, your two other players certainly deserve to be here as well. Kasparud is in his second semifinal at a slam this season. Of course, Kasparud reached the French Open finalist, has a shot at ending this tournament at the as the world number one if he can reach the final and also go further in this event than Carlos Alcaraz. And for Kasparud, not only has he been consistent here in New York, not only has he been consistent here in 2022, He's been one of the guys since tour play resumed in August of 2020, whether it was last season when he ripped off three consecutive titles in three consecutive weeks, one of fewer than five players to do that in the 21st century, whether it was, again, his breakthrough at the Slams this year at the French Open. He just beats who he's supposed to beat and to watch him take out a not-in-form Matteo Berrettini, but to watch him do it so efficiently in straight sets, again, to watch him outlast Tommy Paul in a physical five-set third-round match early in the event. No doubt Casper Ruud by being better than the rest, which sometimes you don't have to be great. You just have to be better than the person opposite of you. That's how Casper has gotten to this point of the tournament. And again, given world number one is on the line for him this weekend, hard to deny he has earned his spot in this semifinal. Then certainly the most unexpected of the runs, even beyond Karen Hachanov, is Francis Tiafo, who becomes the first American since Andy Roddick in 2006 to reach the men's singles semifinal for Tiafo. It's a first slam semifinal. And the way he's done it to beat Rafa as comprehensively as he did, yes, the match was four sets, but was there any doubt Francis was the better player from start to finish? And then to watch his second set tie break, he bagels Rublev 7-0 in that second set breaker, beats Rublev in straight sets as a follow-up to that Rafael Nadal victory. I mentioned this on our mini break podcast yesterday, but Francis Tiafo has been the first of his American generation to do just about everything. And that generation includes himself, guys in his age group, Kozlov, Wolf, Blumberg, Moe, uh, obviously Tiafo, Opelka, Tommy Paul, Chris Eubanks, Ernesto Escobedo, Noah Rubin, Jared Donaldson. I can name all the names for you, but Francis has been one of, if not the guy in the group from the start, whether it was the 2013 Orange Bowl, the 20. 15 five set Kalamazoo 18s title over Stefan Kozlov, the early success at the challenger level, early success in Estoril at Delray Beach. Francis has been the guy, and he proved that once again, not only in his charisma, his energy, his positivity, but just the comprehensive nature and the I suppose, comprehensive package of skills he brings to the court in every match. The overwhelming physicality to survive the best of five format. The electric shot-making capabilities in the outer thirds of the court. The variety, the slice, the moving forward, the continued efficiency of his serve in first-strike tennis. Francis is playing wonderfully, and to beat Rafa and follow it up with the way he did against Rublev into the top 20 of the live rankings for the first time, yes, he was the guy who made the most of this open field. No Novak Djokovic, no Alex Zverev, Tsitsipas knocked out early. 
But someone had to take out Rafael Nadal if this field was going to be as open as it seemed to be at the start. And Francis was that guy. And again, as charismatic, as energetic, as engaging with a crowd as any player on the ATP Tour, any player in tennis period right now. Talk about four outstanding semifinalists, just to set the scene for all of you listeners as we look at day 12's matches. And of course, on this show, I'm going to do my best to find the correct picks to make on day 12. Who's advancing to the U.S. Open final? How do we find value on this board with all of these players playing well? Certainly the margins, whether it be via the DraftKings Sportsbook, whether it be via the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Certainly, the margins are going to be tight. That said, I believe I have found value. And just to quickly recap where things stand, I'm recording this podcast before Day 11's matches conclude. I wish I wasn't. That way, I would be able to know if my thinking and all of the, you know, do I have to worry about additional nerves? Should I throw out some of the prior results we've seen in this event when approaching these semifinals? It's always nice to have a round of results, a similar round of results before assessing the next day. Um, that said, 12 and 16 overall, down 2.12 units, but 6 and 1 through our last seven finished picks up a little over 5 units, 5.05 during that stretch. Can we finish strong? That's our goal here on this Cracked Rackets Ace of the Day segment. So with that in mind, here are my two aces of the day for day number 12. Let's just get right into it. Spoiler alert. I'm taking the favorites to advance on day 12. I think both Kasparud and Carlos Alcaraz ultimately reach the U.S. Open final and set up a U.S. Open final that has world number one on the line. First of all, from a narrative perspective, let's just get this out of the way, the superficial, the non-quantifiable. That's what tennis fans deserve with all of the ups and downs throughout the course of this season, with all of the parody we've seen on the line, with the final Grand Slam match of the year being a final between Kasparud and Carlos Alcaraz. Not only would the winner win their first Grand Slam title, but the winner would also ascend to the world number one ranking on the back of that first Grand Slam title. I mean, talk about a narrative written by the tennis gods. That's what we deserve as tennis fans, given we're living through a pandemic, given just everything we all go through through our daily lives. So tennis gods, I mean, from a narrative perspective, please, please give us that on Sunday. And I suppose that's what we're betting on in this money line favorites. Now, again, big picture, Kasparud minus 210 money line. Probably not going to bet that individually. Very much in the parlay zone if you want to throw it with some weekend football action. Alcaraz, minus 200 over Tiafo. Again, same deal from it's my, you know, 10 cents better value. So I don't know about that. However, you look at the tennis abstract singles forecast. They believe the favorites are a little more comfortable. Kasparud, 71.2% favorite over Hachinov. Alcaraz, 83.6% favorite over Francis Tiafo. So to get them at plus 121 parlayed together, the metrics would suggest we are getting good value on this wager. Now let's dive into each of these matchups and let's start with the Carlos Alcaraz side of the equation. I am well aware of the fact that Carlos Alcaraz has played five set matches and over eight hours of high level tennis over the, you know, in the past three days, and that, yes, he's 19 years old. Yes, he has one day of rest, but it's one day of rest coming off of a mat, uh, coming up against a guy in Francis Tiafo who, A, 
played a physical, albeit straight set match, in his quarterfinal victory over Rublev. Played it earlier in the day. Didn't end at 3 a.m. Ended at 4 p.m. Has those additional 11 hours of rest. Is extraordinarily physical as is and will make that match difficult for Carlos Alcaraz. With how well Francis Tiafo is serving, I don't care how you return. Francis is playing on his terms. And if his first serve can break down the various return positions of Rafael Nadal, if his serve and volley and serve and first forehand combinations can be effective against Rublev and, you know, again, every opponent he's faced thus far, that's a testament to him playing on his terms. And that's what he's done over his past two matches. He will have opportunities to play on his terms against Francis Tiafo because that's what Tiafo does. Similarly, much like Nadal's lefty backhand into the uh, lefty forehand into the Francis Tiafo backhand, Francis had success in that because. He hits his backhand so well, and if you provide him topspin, he just has that much more ammunition to drive the ball that much deeper in the court, knowing that the topspin you provide him will keep his ball down. The inside-out forehand for Alcaraz, while effective against anyone, will be slightly less effective against Francis Tiafo because he absorbs pace so well on that wing, because Francis Tiafo redirects so well on that wing and will take his backhand down the line and keep Alcaraz honest and not allow him to, you know, sit over and uh, cherry pick in that ad side corner. It's a decent matchup for Francis Staffa, who also moves extraordinarily well in and out of that corner and will be able to take that ball on the short hop and do some really impressive things. You know, at the same time, if Carlos Alcaraz is going to seed ground on the baseline as a returner, Francis will take that opportunity to hit the plus one forehand, move in behind it, test Alcaraz's athleticism, see if he can keep up the on-the-run magic for another four more hours in this match. Obviously, for Francis, it's a first slam semifinal, but back-to-back fourth rounds for him as he did the same at Wimbledon, and he's made at least the fourth round of the U.S. Open the past three years. He did reach a quarterfinal at the Australian Open in 2019, and obviously, he's progressed around further, but he's been around the blocks in second weeks of majors, and I don't think anyone would doubt Francis Tiafo's fitness level, of course. From a metrics perspective, Francis has continued to improve as a server. He's a percent and a half above his career average for the year. The break percentage, while steadying, I suppose, this season, it's currently at uh, 19.1%, which is 0.3% above his career average. Still above his career average, albeit below the average of a top 50 player. That said, again, Francis's ability to protect his, he wasn't broken against Andre Rublev. And that allows him to be that much more aggressive as a returner, to take that backhand return early on the rise, to hit play the return and charge tactics where he's immediately at the net and just pressuring his opponent into doing uncomfortable things. Francis makes you uncomfortable. And, you know, again, that he throws so much slice at you. You're not always hitting the ball in your strike zone He will certainly be able to coax some errors out of Carlos Alcaraz, but the reason I'm leaning towards Carlos Alcaraz in this match, not only the clear narrative edge that suggests that was his breakthrough definitive moment, and with his victories over Sinner and Chilich, this has the clear shapings of a definitive breakthrough maiden Grand Slam run, which, by the way, from a non-quantifiable narrative perspective, every bell is ringing, every siren is blaring. This is the opportunity for Carlos Alcaraz. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I believe he'd become the youngest world number one in ATP Tour history. I mean, Alcaraz is 49-9 and here in 2022. And again, 
with the pace he's able to play with, when you know Yannick Sinner was able to absorb some of the forehand cross court heat and make that forehand look vulnerable against his ground stroke. Yes, Tiafo can manufacture plus one forehands. Yes, Tiafo just had to face an elite forehand in Andre Rublev. But even as good as Rublev's forehand is, I just can't call it the caliber of Carlos Alcaraz. And I do think Carlos Alcaraz, while he does struggle to absorb elite pace on that forehand wing, Tiafo doesn't always produce elite pace against that forehand wing. Now, he pressures that forehand. He's going to change direction and, again, throw uncomfortable angles and spins at Alcaraz. But... The way Francis Tiafo attacks you is with slices, with drop shots, with all of these different things. And I think that provides Carlos Alcaraz time. And that's the last thing in the world you can give the 19-year-old is time to set his feet, that extra half second to track down the ball because he's going to do that every time. His forehand, I mean, his serve won't overwhelm Tiafo. Tiafo's going to have opportunities on the return of serve. And credit to Francis Tiafo, even though he only broke Rublev once, he returned so well in the biggest moments of that match, particularly in the first and second set tiebreakers. I mean, that said, Tiafo's beaten Alcaraz. Beat him on clay courts as well. Four and six in Barcelona last season. Now, Tiafo did not serve particularly well, nor did Alcaraz. Alcaraz made only 58% of his first serves. Tiafo was a little bit over 60. Tiafo's first serve did have some success against Carlito, albeit a year and a half ago. And what a year and a half it's clearly been for Carlos Alcaraz, who, by the way, just a fun reminder for everyone. Carlos Alcaraz now, since the start of the 20, uh, since August 2020, has just been on a freaking tear. You look at Carlos Alcaraz since he really began his full time pro tour career uh, in August 2020. He is now, during this stretch of time, a ridiculous. Ridiculous, absolutely freaking ridiculous, ridiculous, 124 and 33. He's won 80% of his matches over the course of two and a half years, and he hasn't even turned 20 years old. I just think, again, the totality of things Alcaraz can do. I think he has the speed to deal with Tiafo's variety. I think Alcaraz passes so well. The lobs, the short angles. I think he'll be fine playing drop shot on drop shot with Francis Tiafo. That said, I think Francis keeps it close. And you look at some of the value on the board tomorrow. Certainly Tiafo to win the first set is an interesting wager at plus 135. Four total sets plus 160. Five total sets plus 250. You know, over 10 and a half games in the first set, meaning it's 7-5 or closer, plus 155, over 39 and a half games, minus 110. I like all of those tomorrow because Francis Tiafo is serving that well. And that's a controllable. If you serve well, you're just going to be able to do things on your terms, regardless of who the opponent is. As captivating as Carlos is, I don't think the crowd will be anti-Alcaraz, but this New York crowd will certainly be pro-Francis Tiafo, an American in the semifinals of men's singles, something we haven't had in 16 years. They're going to have Tiafo's back. When the crowd has his back, he just makes magic happen. Now, again, you look for Francis Tiafo in his career career against top 10 players. Uh, the race two and three this year, beating Nadal, beating Pass, excuse me, in Vienna at the end of last year, eight and 27 in his career. That said, beat Rublev now, uh, you know, twice at the U S open, albeit Rublev slightly out the top 10, uh, 
but was a top 10 seed with that win. He beat Tsitsipas uh, at Wimbledon last year, Shapovalov in Canada last year, beat Kevin Anderson in the Australian Open on that run to the quarterfinals back in 2019. Tiafos performed in some big moments in his career. The four-set match against Djokovic at the Australian Open in 2020 played Novak extraordinarily close in that match. Francis is a primetime performer. Francis keeps things close. And I think if you're going to pick Francis to win, I'd take him to win three sets to one at plus 550 or three sets to two at plus 650 because I just don't see Francis Tiafo winning this match in straight sets once again. That said, and plus 550, plus 650, better odds than just taking him at the money line favorite. You know, I'd rather bet both of those than bet his plus 160 money line. I don't think he's winning in straight sets. Alcaraz plus 175 to win in straight sets, plus 340 to win three sets to one, which is probably my favorite individual Alcaraz bet, plus 550 to win three sets to two. I just think the heaviness of that Alcaraz forehand is a nightmare matchup for Francis Tiafo, despite how well he's hitting the ball right now. And Carlos is such a good returner that he'll change his return positioning. He'll find ways to dip the first ball low at Francis's feet. He'll find ways to get look at second passing shot combinations. His totality of aggression plus physicality plus defensive skills is just the toughest matchup, even with Tiafo facing Rafa. Carlos is playing better than Rafa. In New York, Rafa was not playing his best tennis throughout the course, even in making the second week. So give me Alcaraz to advance. I'm going to ride with the tennis abstract formula. I do think the match goes four sets. I do think Francis gets the crowd on his side. I think he win. He might even win the first set, but I just, as he's again, he's been getting away with serving like 50, 51% of his first serves. He's gone big on the second serve and it's worked, but I just think Alcaraz will make him pay as a returner in a way previous opponents have yet to thus far in this event. So give me Carlos Alcaraz at minus 200. We're going to, du- or excuse me, as one half of the parlay, but we're going to double down with ace number two bleeding into our ace number one explanation as well. I'm back in Kasparud not only to win, I'm going to take him minus 210 over Hatchinov, plus 121 when you parlay with Alcaraz, one unit to win 1.21. That is ace of the day number one. I'm also going to take Kasparud to cover a minus two and a half game spread over Karen Hatchinov, which again, minus 145 odds, you're laying a little juice. I just feel good about Kasparud tomorrow, who again is an 80, uh, excuse me, 71.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. It's Alcaraz that's an 83.6% favorite. You look for Kasparud, 43 and 15. Overall this season, 74% win percentage. Not only is he 24 and 10 against opponents ranked inside the top 50, he's 11 and 6 against top 20 opponents as well. He's racked up wins over Berrettini, Felix, Hercots, you know, Zverev, Nori. He's gotten some good wins throughout the course of this year and, you know, obviously reaches the French Open final earlier this season, made a semifinals in Canada uh, this year as well before getting knocked out by Hubie Hercots, finalist in Miami before getting knocked out by Carlos Alcaraz. 
Casper looked good, particularly in sets one and two against Matteo Berrettini, a guy who wants to impose himself with his first serve and with his first forehand. And Casper did a really good job of taking those two things away. Not only did he hit kick serves to the Berrettini backhand, which won't work as effectively against Karen Hatchinoff because Hatchinoff hits the backhand better, but you know he was so effective in not being static in his game plan. And what I mean by that is when you play a Matteo Berrettini, you obviously want to hit as many balls to that ad side backhand corner as possible. That said, Casper Ruud was not afraid to pull the trigger inside in with his forehand, meaning going from his ad side to Berrettini's do side or take his backhand down the line. He was willing to attack that Berrettini forehand, force Berrettini to hit that big forehand, but to have to hit it on the full sprint. And if you do that to Karen Hatchinov, that's that pattern in particular, forcing him to hit his forehand on the full sprint. That's when you're going to coax errors out of the big Russian because his forehand grip is that much more extreme. And I think Casper's ability to hit the T-serve on the ad side to that Hatchinov forehand, Hatchinov will hit the block return back, and then Casper gets a first forehand to go anywhere on the court with. I think his ability to hit the slice wide on the deuce, but more particularly into that body while also just changing up his spots on that deuce side. There are a lot of different things Casper Ruud can do to just put himself on his front foot. And again, yes, challenge the Hatchinov forehand on the run, but also just keep Hatchinov guessing, whether it be attacking that Hatchinov backhand corner with his effective inside-out forehand, whether it's, you know, again, because Hatchinov drives his backhand well, but doesn't really manufacture elite pace off of that wing. Casper's going to have some opportunities to run around on that ad side and play with his forehand. Obviously, Casper going to have opportunities to move forward as well, and he will comfortably do that when he has Hatchinov on the run. Now, again, when Karen's hitting the first serve big, when he has opportunities to hit his first forehand with his feet set— he can do a lot of damage. We saw that against Kyrgios. He is a comfortable volleyer, not a great volleyer, but a comfortable volleyer who knows where to go, what to do with his first volley. Hits his backhand extraordinarily well. Will do a good job with his size, with his speed, absorbing the inside-out forehand pace of Kasparud. But again, Kasper's ability to get Hatchinov, you know, to spread the court on Hatchinov and to force him to play on the run. That's where the errors – Hatchinov looks so good when his feet are set. Can get a little dicier, particularly when he's stretched in the outer third on that forehand wing, and that's what Casper does most effectively. Now, from a statistical perspective, again, Casper Ruud, a ridiculous record here this season, 43-15. and 15. He's top five in total wins, a shot at becoming the world number one, top five in the points race. Uh, the big numbers for me, he's 26-13. and 13. In his career at the ATP level against opponents six foot four or taller. Now that's ten and nine when you do that on hard courts, but he's won four out of his last five, and that includes wins over Berrettini, Zverev, Bublik, you know, has gotten a win over Opelka, Chilich on a hard court as well. I understand ten and nine, not something you run home about in terms of a record against tall players on hard courts, but he has won four of his last five. And he lost five of his first seven against tall players on hard courts. Indicative of the continued progress Kasparud has made across the board. Now, on the statistical side for Karen Hatchinov, who ranks 24th amongst the top 50 players in hold percentage, his 82.1% hold percentage, just above the average of a top 50 player. Now, 31 and 20 overall this season, breaking serve 19.1% of the time, which ranks 42nd 
amongst top 50 players. Again, you hit a big serve to his forehand, you're going to get a blocked return back or with enough pace, you may even coax in error out of him. The big numbers for me, Karen Hatchinoff, 10 and 36 in his career against top 10 opponents. He's lost 18 in a row against the top 10. 18 in a row. 1-11 in his career against the uh, top 10 opponents at the majors. That was a round of 16 victory over Juan Martin Del Potro back at Roland Garros 2019. But again, people who can do things with elite efficiency, not give anything away to Karen Hatchinoff for free, that's when he struggles. Because with all due respect to Hatchinoff, he'll have the one shaky service game in every set. And he needs you to give him a free point here or two free points there for him to make up for that two-minute lapse in concentration. And again, Hatchinov's a good mover, not a great mover. If you are elite at spreading the court or you have an elite weapon, you see hints of stiffness. You know, he looks six foot six against elite of elite pace. If you ha- if you can play again with elite discipline, he'll give you a couple of free errors. If you can get him stretched on that forehand wing, I keep emphasizing that. He'll give you a couple of free errors. For what it's worth, Hatchinov also 11 and 18 on hard courts against ATP players with one-handed backhands. He struggles when you throw that slice at him. When you get him off speed, force him to hit the ball outside of his contact point. The preferred contact point, I should say. Kasparud doesn't have a one-handed backhand, but Kasparud will throw slice at you off of that backhand wing. And that's just another tool in his chest for him to make hat chest, his box, toolbox, tool chest, whatever it's called, for him to make Hatchinov uncomfortable with. And so for all of those reasons, I am leading Kasparud to win this match. And I think as such, if he wins this match, I think he'll cover a two and a half game spread. I just don't see him losing a 6-1, 6 love set in this match. And for Hatchinov, for what it's worth, we talked about the intangibles at the start from an experience perspective. It's Hatchinov's first semifinal for Root. He was at this stage just two slams ago. I'm taking Kasparud to win. I'm taking him on the money line. I'm taking the game spread as well. So again, our day two aces of the day. I'm back in the favorites. Give me a rude Alcaraz money line parlay plus 121. We'll lay the full unit to win 1.21. And then Casper Rude to cover the two and a half game spread over Karen Hatchinov. Minus 145, 1.45 units to win one in return. Of course, if Casper Rude does do the job, then we can live bet on Tiafo before that Alcaraz match and know that no matter what, we're winning money whether it be on our parlay, whether it be individually on Tiafo. So we're betting big on Kasparud tomorrow, but I feel pretty good going into Day 12's picks. So with that in mind, we will talk about all of Day 12's action on the Mini Break Podcast. And if you've missed anything that's happened in New York, you can catch up on it all with that Mini Break show, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcast or on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings as well. Remember, Bet one dollars get one one dollars. Bet one dollar get one hundred dollars in free bets with the promo code AOD. With that said, for our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both the tennis cha- at Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, leave it in. We'll try it again from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. I may not be perfect, but you know what I say: May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Thank you.